You're listening to episode 102, a special Imagine a Day Without Water edition with Mae Stevens, Executive Vice President at Signal Group and Chair of Signal Water. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water Lab. Hi, this is Seth Siegel, author and senior fellow at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's Center for Water Policy. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the value of communication in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. We are proud to announce our new nonprofit venture, Rogue Water Lab. A tribe, an experience, a calling, a hub where you can learn, connect, and grow. The lab is cultivating the next generation of innovators in water communication and education. Why? Because progress is a human story. And those who tell the stories rule the world. So the question now belongs to you. Are you ready to join the revolution? Aw, hey everybody. We missed you. Oh my gosh, we haven't been gone that long, but it feels like forever, this little hiatus. But we're so glad to be here for Imagine a Day Without Water. Yay, hope everyone's celebrating. I'm going to tell you guys why we've been on this little hiatus in just a minute. But before that, I want to talk to you about this amazing conversation you're about to hear that we just had with Mae Stevens of the Signal Group and Signal Water. And Signal Water is a public affairs practice that is solely dedicated to the water sector. And uh, their focus is on Capitol Hill. It's on the Hill, on policy, on the politics of water and all of that. And I think this is an amazing, obviously a very timely conversation to be having right now. We do nerd out a little bit about communication, obviously, why both of us, or all of us, think that knowing your audience and what they're about and what they care about and what will resonate with them is absolutely key to creating impact. But the part that I'm really excited about for you to hear is when she breaks down the four different scenarios of what happens based on voting outcomes. So whatever happens in the House, the Senate, the White House, and the four different scenarios that can come out of that and how they directly impact us, the water sector, and what's going to happen or what's predicted to happen. And hello, this is so cool because we never get to hear our story in the mainstream political landscape or in the mainstream in general, but especially the political landscape. So I think this is such a timely, important message to hear. Plus, she talks to us about why it's absolutely so important for us to be engaged and involved with what's happening on, not only for our personal reasons, but for our professional reasons as well. Now, I wanted to talk to you all about the podcast documentary that we're working on. Uh, COVID is making the video production side of it making us be creative, which is great. Love thinking outside of the box. We're super excited to be partnering with Rural Community Assistance Partnership and our amazing production team, 12 Midnight, to to put this on. We're going to be going into six rural communities, and we're going to be meeting some amazing people and communities and showing how they have used water truly as a catalyst to create transformation in their communities. We're so excited to be telling these stories And this is going to be something that you're not only going to get to listen to on your commute or while you're doing your laundry or wherever you listen to a podcast. You're also, this is going to be a standalone visual video documentary piece. And we're incredibly excited about that. And we're going to fuse all of these different uh, multimedias together because we're working under the constraints of COVID. And so I can't wait to share that creativity with you. So be on the lookout for that. A trailer is going to be coming soon. If you haven't signed up for the lab notes, be sure to do that. So you're first to know the second that it drops. And this also doesn't happen without support from our water family. So if 
you or your organization have the ability to help sponsor this uh, this endeavor so that we can spread awareness around the amazing work that's happening, then please reach out to us at stephanie at roguewaterlab.org. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E at roguewaterlab.org. And let us know if you want to be on the list to sponsor the first ever pod doc in the water sector. So without further ado, let's get to the show. May Stevens is an executive vice president at Signal Group and the chair of Signal Water. May provides strategic environmental and infrastructure policy expertise to a diverse range of corporate, municipal, and nonprofit clients. Most recently, she served as environmental policy advisor to Senator Ben Cardin, winner of the 2020 U.S. Water Prize. She handled the senator's responsibilities as the top Democrat on the Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, including staffing the senator during the crafting and passage of the FAST Act and the 2016 and 2018 Water Resources Development Act bills. During her seven-year tenure on Capitol Hill, May was responsible for the Senate Democrats' response to the Flint water crisis and focused most of her time on the intersection of water, equity, and affordability and generally how to make cities and towns even better for the people who live and work there. She also spent nine years working with various nonprofit environmental organizations and think tanks. A sought after public speaker, she has presented at the Democratic National Convention and her work has appeared in the Washington Post, Politico, Wonk Blog, and Wired. And she was a featured guest on Fox Business News. May holds a master's degree from Columbia and a bachelor's degree from the George Washington University. All that to say, welcome. Love it. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Yes, we're pumped <laughs> to have you. And a special uh, edition during yes. the during the podcast hiatus while we work through other things. Uh, super excited. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for getting us back on the grind. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a really important time, so I'm glad to be here. It's great. Yeah. We have people reach out to us pretty regularly about being potential podcast guests. And I have to say that, um, you know, number one, instantly, it was amazing to get to talk about water and politics because we don't often get to hear our story in within that narrative that the main, at least on the mainstream level. But you also came with legit water in real life love and uh, <laughs> like you had listened to some and could be like I love this and one of the things that I really liked was that you already know the first question yeah <laughs> that's she coming does. your way <laughs> I, okay. I am a big fan so I'm very excited yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay May well here it goes did you choose water or did water choose you um, my answer to that is that uh, water chose me and then I chose water. So um, a little bit of background on that. Um, so set, I used to work for Senator Cardin. I said in the opening, um, I was an environment infrastructure policy person. I will never forget the day that Senator Cardin came to me. Um, it was in a like a senior staff meeting and he was like, this Flint crisis is getting really bad. Um, there's a lot of other communities around the country that have the same problems, including in Baltimore, but like lots and lots of other communities, thousands of other communities. And uh, I would like for you to, flint to fix the lead crisis, like oh. all of it, 
like not just water, but also in soil and also just in paint and everywhere else that there's lead. And I was like, okay, Senator, that sounds great. (laughs) And because that's what you are supposed to say to a Senator. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I am going to get fired because I had absolutely no idea. I had no background in water. I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't even really hired to work on the water stuff. There was like another person who was supposed to work on it. And, you know, uh, it just situations are as they are, I ended up with a water portfolio. So I remember walking out of that meeting, like shake, just shaking. And, um, I went to uh, a Brookings fellow that we had is a, like a detailee from the EPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in the office of air at EPA. So I went to him and I said, well, we got this assignment from the Senator and I don't know what to do. And it like, very luckily, he, in the previous life in St. Louis, he had been a water quality engineer. And I was like, that moment, I was like, I am the luckiest person alive. So I didn't even know who to call. I had no idea. So I was like, who are the trade associations I need to talk to? All of the things. So he pointed me in the right direction. I met a bunch of people. I met all of these like fantastic and wonderful people in the water space. Um, the That project for Senator Cardin turned into the Senate Democrats' response to the Flint crisis. Um, a couple uh, a couple months after uh, we introduced it, it passed the Senate 97 to 3. And it was sort of at that moment that I was like, wow, I have found my life's calling. Yeah. But there's a second part of this answer, right? And that is like, not only did water choose me, but then I chose water. So the other part of this is that water is not the only thing that I could work on in Senator Cardin's office. And in fact, a normal Senator, a normal Senate staffer would have an even broader portfolio than I am about to tell you. But my portfolio was everything in EPA, everything in interior, everything at department of transportation, commerce, department of energy, agriculture, space policy. I was the only senior staffer with a science degree. So I was like science policy, like whatever that means is kind of everything in science, right? So because of all of those things, I was covering all of those issues for him, not just water. Um, And so after my experience with the Flint deal in 2016, I did another large water infrastructure bill in 2018. And that's when I decided I want to leave the Hill so that I can only work on water infrastructure. And so that's when I chose water was about a year and a half ago when I left Senator Cardin's office, just because I really wanted to focus on these issues. I thought it was so, 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 so important. So both. My answer is both. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I think that's our first both. Yeah. I remember. But I love how what the Senator told you is how sometimes uh, we as communicators feel when like the director is I want you to create something that no one will ever complain about ever. And we're like, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> okay. Well, right? It's really that's hard when plan for zero descent. It's and it's just, yes. you know, if that's possible. But yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I loved when we got to chat before was how we talked about how really it was making that connection to the work that we do around water and connecting that to the people that we're helping mm-hmm. that are actually, that is the ultimate of end product for us is the ability to get to serve those communities through the lens of water. And I know that that was an area that we both, uh, that we both shared that passion towards as well. Absolutely. It's really important. Okay, May. So tell us a little bit about what's going on at Signal Group as it relates to water. Oh my gosh. So, so much is going on. Um, On September 15th, Signal started um, Signal Water, 
Um, it's a water practice. It's the nation's only fully integrated public affairs practice dedicated to safe and equitable clean water future. Um, I'm very excited about it. I was named the chair, which is pretty fun. My parents are proud of me. Um, so that's, that's what matters. Um, I, I actually really thought that this was really important for the sector. Um, I, as a staffer, I sort of saw the water sector was kind of trying to do the best that they could in advocating for themselves and communicating what they needed to up to the hill. But sometimes, you know, they were, and they were trying to get a seat at the table as much as they could, but a lot of times they were getting outmaneuvered. And part of the reason for that is because the comms advocacy, digital, like, all of those pieces were just not um, lined up, right? And um, so, so sometimes they would, you know, send somebody up to testify and the day before they would send out a letter. And then the night before testifying, they would figure out, oh, we have to change the, you know, what we have to say or the way that we have to say this, we have new information or whatever. And so then they would go and testify. And then there would be this like disconnect between what they released yesterday and then what they're talking about mm -hmm. today. And I think a lot of that has to do with the sort of just the disconnect amongst the entire water sector. It's spread out. It's so big, right? 68,000 yeah, so water utilities. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So, you know, sometimes, you know, NACO would put out a letter and then AWWA would be testifying the next day. It's like, well, they're not even the same, right? One's rainwater, one's wastewater, but staffers don't know that, senators mm -hmm. don't know that, or maybe they do, but they don't care about the difference, right? Um, and so there's really uh, a lot that needs to be done to sort of coordinate between those two. And I think that they're, they're also, frankly, like kind of everybody in the water sector, they're overworked and underpaid, right? So mm -hmm. they're doing the best that they can with the resources that they have. They just don't have a lot of resources um, and a lot of just boots on the ground. So um, I really wanted to create a practice. That's why it's a fully integrated public affairs firm. I wanted to create a practice that was solely dedicated to water. We were really focused on water but making sure that comms, digital, advocacy, all of those things were under one shop. And so we could work together on that strategy and really move, you know, move the ball forward in that way. And so that all sort of, all the oars were pulling in the same direction kind of thing. So, um, and now I work for companies, I work for trade associations, I work for nonprofits, um, all in the water space. So it's really fun. Um, I'm having a great time and, and, and I think, you know, we're, we're really successful. I think, uh, we're being really successful in the work that we're doing. So that's important too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was fun for us to get to, to chat about water and communication, but mm -hmm. from kind of like two different perspectives, you know, we have, yeah kind of two different niches and area of expertise that we, that we both sit in. But um, the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, is that obviously there's so many similarities and so many things that translate. So we wanted to nerd out on comms with you for, you know, just a minute before we get into the nitty gritty of the political. Um, you know, we harp on, we harp a lot on the fact that effective communication is communication that is tailored to an audience. And your audience is never everyone that spoiler alert it's never <laughs> the general public like no yeah no I mean it's not all at the same time yeah right uh, so how do you lose the chance to create impact if your messaging isn't tailored to the intended audience this is so this is an excellent question and I like the way that you phrased it about a missed opportunity instead of taking advantage of an opportunity because that's a much better way of sort of thinking about thinking about the, the missed opportunity, right? So the, like, you have to think about it in terms of like, do the, my audience or the members of Congress, 535 of them 
plus some delegates and some other great people, right? And then also like a bunch of people in the administration. I mean, it's nothing compared to your guys' audience. Sometimes you're you know, dealing with millions of people, but um, for me- I'll take like, a million. I'll take millions <laughs> over. <laughs> over these guys, over yeah. The politicians. I mean, <laughs> they're nicer than they seem, but yes. Yeah. Um, so but <laughs> what that means is like, it's a very targeted- uh, like a uh, very targeted audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and representative, like, so you can think about it from their perspective because there's not that many of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so representative democracy means that they are here representing their specific constituents, right? So if you went up to um, Senator Cardin, for, for example, we'll just use him as another example. So Senator Cardin, senior senator from Maryland, he cares about Maryland folks. He cares about the Chesapeake Bay. If you go up to him and say, we're really concerned about this bill that's going to dramatically affect the Great Lakes and we're really nervous about it and we really need you to champion this bill, he's going to say, that's fine, but we need Senator Stabenow and Senator Peters to champion that bill because Mm -hmm. I have to worry about the Chesapeake Bay because those and my and the Marylanders and the people who live in Baltimore and Montgomery County and like all of the places, right? He's like Easton everywhere, right? I have to worry about the places in Maryland and the people who live in Maryland because that's my job. Mm-hmm. And no one else is going to look out for those people if not for Senator Cardin and Senator Van Hollen and their and the Maryland delegation, right? And so it's really important to remember that because as you're approaching people, you need to think about it from their perspective. Um, and I think that that is exactly what you guys do as well, right? So when you think about who you're tailoring your messages to, you're like, this is for, you know, this type of person or this person in this, you know, in this community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine you even think about things like, are they native English speakers? Do we need to put this in a different language, right? Is this uh, culturally and ling- linguistically appropriate, right? These are the things that are really important. Um, you have to think about that stuff because otherwise it's not going to resonate and you're not going to get the results that you want. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's really, really important. I'm glad that you guys tell everybody. This. <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, a lot. I think, and the thing is, is that, you know, you, you don't get offended when the Senator doesn't want, can't worry about this body of water because their residents are worried about the Chesapeake Bay. You just understand yeah. that people you care about what's, you know, what's in your circle of influence. And so it's not like a, you can only worry about so much. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Going completely (laughs) insane. And so I think that that's one of the hurdles that we come across sometimes is just reminding people that we live, eat and breathe this every day, Mm -hmm. but you know, we step outside of this and our other friends and significant others, like they don't think about this ever, about water ever, rarely, you know? And so just remembering to put ourselves in each other's shoes. And I love that you talked about like being, um, you know, not only language, but culturally representative because there's so much conversation everywhere, but especially in the water industry about diversity and inclusion. And yeah, being mindful of your audience and being effective in communicating to those audiences, like the first step of creating an inclusive environment, because you're thinking ahead of and thinking of all of the different folks that could be engaging with your content. So yeah, super important and love yeah. to hear it through your lens, you know, cause we mm-hmm. can yeah, hear no, it absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, see, guys, it's important. Listen to these two. Not just yes. us. <laughs> May said it too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I also think I want to just like hop back to a thing that you just said about how I don't get offended if Senator Cardin doesn't care about the Great Lakes. I mean, he does. Like, let's be clear. He does care about the Great Lakes. (laughs) It's just not his first priority. Right. And I think but the thing is, like, I don't get offended or frustrated about that. I understand that it is my responsibility to communicate to him why he should care about my thing that I'm asking him for. Right. Like it's um, I had a a friend a long time ago who's a lobbyist who would say, that when you're going to lobby somebody, you're asking them to like vote for a bill or sign on to a bill or something. It's like asking somebody to babysit your old cat, right? So your old sick cat, this is not a fun babysitting experience, right? You don't go to them and say, you should really babysit my cat. Like I have to go on this vacation and you should like, why would you do that? That's not how it works. You have to say like, you have to say why that person would want to help you, right? Um, it's, it doesn't make any sense to like shout at people or, or, or tell them why it's important to you. It's much more important to tell them why it's important to them. Um, and it's much more convincing and fun, really. I have a, I have a really good time trying to figure out like, okay, what is going to make that person get excited about my thing? Um, it's like one of the best parts of my job. So. And yeah. I love that you almost said to take care of your dead cat because that would just like <laughs> raise the level of like. I'd like to them. see, yeah. I'd like to see May's talking points for that argument, right? There. Yes. I mean, dead I have cat, no doubt that you would, be, you would have, I have no doubt you'd be able to do it. But yeah. you know, like, <laughs> man, she's just taking this to the next level. I'm like, already have this cat in my arms and I'm giving it its medicine. And I'm like, keep going, try to convince me. Yes. Yeah, I've already done it. <laughs> well, I'm a very good lobbyist. So I think I can make it happen. <laughs> So to like take full circle dead cats to the value of water, uh, (laughs) like, you know, we can't communicate the value of water for all the reasons that we think water is valuable and all the reasons that we love and care about this industry. We have to communicate that to people in a language and with the goals and, and uh, issues that mean something to them and that they're Mm -hmm. connected to. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And remember that people are real people. So if there's, you know, like sewage backing up in someone's basement because we haven't done the stormwater uh, thing yet because we don't have enough money. Okay, fine. What is happening? They're calling the utility. They're freaking out because sewage is in the person's basement. Mm -hmm. They don't even have time to make that phone call because the kid has to go to soccer and the other one is late for ballet. And like, there's this right, like this is not their job and this is not their responsibility. So of course they're frustrated. Right. And so like realizing that you can put yourself in that other person's shoes and understand how to effectively communicate with this like harried person that needs to get their kids everywhere. Right. Like that's, that is, I think really important. So, because you're right, not, it's nobody thinks about this stuff and, and, and kind of like, that's kind of good. That's like kind of good and bad. Right. Because on the one hand, like it means everything's working. On the other hand, it means that like it's, completely taken for granted, you know? Oh, right. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it yeah. means, it means everything's working today. Right. And when <laughs> you're not talking about it, you're not preparing for when things aren't working down the road, which is where, you know, where yeah. we are today with yeah. all the issues that we face. And so nailed it on the head, like <laughs> not many people are thinking about this and that translates and or transfers to the political world as well. Cause sadly yeah. water often doesn't make it to political platforms and commentary. Uh, The last election that we went through, Flint News broke around the same time as the election. So it did make it into one of the debates. Uh, But we usually don't see political pundits bantering about water on CNN or Fox News or whatever your news channel of choice is. So we want to chat with you because water is your jam, like us. (laughs) And 
you've used your expertise to make some predictions across a number of different scenarios in terms of outcomes of elections. Um, and I'd like to walk through those with you so that our listeners can gain perspective on how these different kind of outcomes that are out there at play right now can impact us as professionals and what we should make ourselves aware because that story doesn't literally never gets told. We never yeah. hear ourselves there. So um, I'm going to start with like the big kahunas of kind of the scenarios <laughs> of White House, Senate, House. So okay. um, let's build up to the White House. Let's, uh, okay. let's start with like the House. Okay. So predictions are for the House that so the, the way that the House is now, the Democrats have control by a pretty significant number of seats. They're not expected to lose enough, enough seats to have it flip from Democrat to Republican control. And they may actually gain seats at this point. The polling is sort of all over the map. Polling, as we learned from 2016, not always reliable. Also, we don't, um, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on your position, we don't elect people by the popular vote. We elect them by electoral college. So maybe don't put too much stock in the in the national polls. But for the House, I don't think anything is going to change there. I think no matter what, it's going to be controlled by the Democrats. Okay. So we can just sort of put that one aside and know that that is always going to be a constant for all the other scenarios that we're about to talk about. Okay. So we're like, yeah. we're setting the stage right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Senate. So the Senate is, I would put the Senate about 50-50 for flipping. Um, we can get into, we don't. We probably don't have time on this podcast, nor <laughs> is it going to be at all interesting for most of your listeners to figure out if Mark Kelly wins and Gary Peters loses and Alexander, uh, and uh, Lindsey Graham wins, like what, what the makeup is going to be. That's going to be really hard. But just to know that it's probably about 50-50, whether or not it's going to be a Republican or Democratic control. The one sort of wild card is that in the Senate, because there's 100 senators, there's an opportunity for a tie that's uh, like more possible than ever right now because the two parties are so close. Mm -hmm. If there's a tie and it's 50-50, then whoever the, whoever the vice president is, they make the deciding vote. They mm -hmm. also mean, that also means that if the Senate is 50-50, and then um, the whoever the White House is, that is the party that controls the Senate as well. So they're the ones who get to decide what bills go to the floor, who controls the committees, all of those things. So that is a really uh, sort of exciting and dangerous balance that we live in. So that is that is another thing. But I would say that's about 50 50. So I, I like I feel like I'm in a combination of like a fantasy football yeah, thing was, and like a <laughs> yes. Game of Thrones thing. Like there's like a, like I need a bracket. Where's the you know March March Madness brackets? Yeah. This Next happens time we'll that. be we'll be filling yes. out a bracket. <laughs> yes. Okay. I also yeah. kind of want to play some bets now. Is that I, yeah. Like You can do that on the internet, I think. Oh, I'm not Lord. sure if they made that illegal. I mean, I'm totally sure that. you can do that, but it sounds yeah. like I probably shouldn't even Google that. Yeah. <laughs> you probably shouldn't. It's probably Like not. dark web shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which brings us to the White House. Yes. <laughs> <are> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry for that segue. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine segue. It's fine. Okay. Um, so yeah. Okay. So the white house is the same. I think the white house is also sort of a 50 50 at this point. I think that, um, the, over the last like week or two, the polls 
And when I say polls, I mean individual polls in each state. Don't look at the national polls again. But those polls are sort of sliding towards Biden. But again, as we learned in 2016, literally anything can happen. Mm -hmm. So if we want to talk about what these scenarios mean for water infrastructure specifically, then I would think about four possible scenarios, right? So the House sees the same regardless. It's either a Republican um, or a Democratic Senate and then a Republican or a Democratic White House. Uh, So that's what I would think about is like the four possible scenarios. Okay. So scenario one, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce each of these scenarios. So everybody kind of can wrap their head around on the conversation that's happening. So this scenario is the house is Democrat. The Senate is Republican and the white house is Democrat. Yes. Okay. So for this situation, because there is a check between the house and the Senate, I think there's going to be a medium-sized package in response to COVID, and that could include infrastructure. Um, The reason why infrastructure, just to take a step back for a second, the reason why infrastructure package is even being talked about in this is because we have lost 10 million jobs since March, right? 10 million net job loss. Both parties agree, this is not a partisan statement, both parties agree that the very best way to get people back to work is to invest in infrastructure because- That not only puts people back to work, especially blue collar workers, it also invests in the economy for years and decades and decades to come, right? So if you build this bridge, it's going to last for a long time, right? Um, So that is true. Um, The only problem with that, you know, sort of thought is the situation that we see right now is that Senate Republicans are not as excited to spend as much money as House Democrats are. Mm. And so in a situation like this scenario, if the White House flips and is Democratic and the House is Democratic, but the Senate is still Republican, there's going to be a check. And so you'll see a sort of medium-sized package. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, (laughs) uh, Just like a quick, like little asterisk. Um, Yes. When this infrastructure package Tech, like water will see some impact from that, right? Yeah. Some, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of it is going to be focused on the other infrastructure. Yes. And I can get into all sorts of details about why water infrastructure is the like sad ch- stepchild of the infrastructure yeah. conversation and why transportation gets 80, like any, I just, I will just say this because it is so frustrating to me. A transportation project is the funding for that project. 80% of it is from the federal government. 20% is from the state and local government. That's by law. Mm -hmm. A water infrastructure project, 97% of the money going into water infrastructure projects is state and local government. 3% is federal government. Why? Why? Just like, tell me why. I don't understand. It's so frustrating. So yes. I have a million questions and clearly we need to have another podcast episode to talk about (laughs) that. Yeah. Okay. So moving on before we go down. Yes. All right. Scenario number two is House is Democrat. Senate is Democrat. White House is Republican. Yes. Okay. So I think that there could, there is a possibility to have a pretty big package, bigger than the first scenario. And the reason why I think that is because President Trump has been saying sort of all along that he wants a large package. He wants to spend a lot of money on this. Um, And the thing that has been holding him back is the Senate Republicans. And the fact that the Senate Republicans have control over the floor 
And the fact that, you know, Mitch McConnell, Senator McConnell has to sort of corral his people, a lot of whom do not think the federal government should be large, right? And that the federal government should not be spending a lot of money, um, which is true of some Democrats as well, let's be clear. But there are a lot a lot of people with that mindset on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, um, the uh, Senate, it, the Senate Republicans are going to sort of are, are, are already checking the president in this case. But if the Senate, it flips to Democrat and you have so Senate Democrats and House Democrats, they can easily come together in a very large package. And President Trump is already interested in a large package. So we'll have to see, you know, what, you know, devil's in the details. Right. Yeah. But that seems like a likelier, larger package in that in that case. Yes. Interesting. That's good. So more for water. <laughs> Yay. Uh, that's interesting to hear because, I mean, obviously, things feel like they get pretty stymied when you have the House and the Senate as a different party. But I also kind of had that thought of that with the House and Senate and the White House having different parties. So that's interesting to hear that there's that pro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that President Trump is very different than every other Republican president we've ever had, right? And so he doesn't necessarily conform to his party in the way that Maybe some Republicans would like him to. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but one thing that is really, uh, you know, really in alignment with Democrats is his excitement about building things. He is really excited about building things. He has been his entire life. Yeah. So like, like we were saying, like we got to talk to people the way that and the things that they're interested in, get them to get excited about the things. We got to talk to him in a way that he is interested and he is very interested in building things. If we can put President Trump on all of the bridges, he'd be even more excited, I'm sure. So that would be right. That's a way to get the thing done. So So the engineers need to throw bows and get to the front of the crowd and say, like, look at these schematics of pipes and (laughs) treatment plants and things that we need. This is where your face is underground (laughs) forever. Yeah, (laughs) it'll be there for, I mean, 100 years. I mean, it will, right? Yeah. Uh, Okay. so scenario number three. House Democrat, Senate Democrat, White House Democrat. So full house. I don't know my poker terms. Yeah, I think flush? that's right. I don't know. Okay. It's a flush, sure, whatever. Um, yeah. So okay. So if that's the situation, Democrats are not going to have any problems with agreeing amongst themselves about what needs to get done. Yeah. Uh, and when there's not checks and balances between the parties. Um, there's not checks and balances between the parties. That's great, right? So that means that a lot of things can get done. I think that is the scenario where we will have the biggest uh, possibility of an infrastructure package. You could see that in 2008 with the Recovery Act. I think we would see the same thing now as a massive, massive package, more than a trillion dollars on infrastructure. And I think sort of everybody agrees that that that, uh, you know, House and Senate leadership and the uh, president or uh, candidate Biden, they all sort of agree we need to spend a lot of money on infrastructure. So there's nothing stopping them in that in that scenario. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, all right. Last scenario is House Democrat, Senate Republican and White House Republican. Okay. So this is the scenario. This is like the scary scenario for me in terms of water. And the okay. reason for that is that I think there might be a small or even no package at all in this scenario, um, which we can get to why it is so important to worry about this stuff right here. It is very important because if this scenario happens, then we won't get anything. 
Um, the reason for that, I think, is that um, you can see exactly what's happening right now. So if there's no change in either the Senate, the House or the White House, what do we have right now? We have passed a bill in uh, May, I think. The days are all blending together because coronavirus is I don't even know. It's March still. I'm not. I'm not sure. But we passed a bill. We passed a big bill in the spring. It's about a trillion dollars, and we've literally done nothing since. We are mm-hmm. arguing amongst ourselves. The you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi is meeting with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Like the president is tweeting. Mitch McConnell is disagreeing with everything. Right? There's nobody is in agreement on anything. And I think if there's no change in Washington, everybody has the same perspectives. Everybody has the same interest in what they want to do. And so you get the same result, right? And so there's probably going to be a limited package, if at all, and probably no infrastructure package, right? We might see some um, additional funding for uh, essential workers, which is important to the water sector, Mm -hmm. but nothing compared to the kinds of like investment in actual infrastructure, right? the increases in the state revolving funds or the increases to WIFIA, we're probably not going to see those in that scenario. So nothing changes, then nothing's going to change. Okay, so I have two questions. <laughs> um, when you say that it was passed, but nothing's happened, do you need, do you mean that none of that, that money has been released yet? It's still being argued about how to be released? Sorry. No, I was a little confusing in that, in that case. So <clears throat> the money we passed the bill, the president signed it into law, the money went out. Okay. But we've done nothing since then, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. I mean, we are still missing 10 million jobs. I still can't leave my home without a mask, right? Like we can't leave, we, it's not safe to leave our home still, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. like that is not, that problem is not getting solved. In fact, like today I read 20 states are seeing the highest levels of COVID yeah. that they've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's been seven months, like, right? Yeah. Like nothing, we have not fixed anything. That's what I mean. So we need another package. We need probably several more packages to figure this out. Um, and the money, frankly, is run out, right? Yeah. There, there was the um, the supplemental uh, $600 for people who are unemployed. Like that has, that ran out a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all the PPE that was bought with that first bill, like that's all been used up, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that money has all been spent, but we need, we have to do more. And so if there's not any change in Washington, we're probably not going to do any more. So I know a yeah. lot of conversation around the essential worker piece happened yeah. uh, because you were seeing all of these kudos and thank yous to essential workers in the public. And yeah. nine times out of 10, none of that messaging included the people at the water and wastewater treatment, plant, like the operators, yeah. like the folks in our industry. So yeah. um, that's a whole nother issue and a communication uh, opportunity. But on the flip side of that, when you talk about, um, resources or, or money going to essential workers on that level, is our industry being included in that conversation, in that conversation? Yes, because, um, when, when these bills talk about essential workers, it's like a classification of workers. And so that is decided by department of labor and like all these, all the agencies sort of get together and decide who is essential worker. And so water utility folks have been declared essential workers, so they are included in those conversations. But the things that are not necessarily included in the conversations are the fact that, you know, with 10 million people uh, have lost their jobs, right? We have a lot of people that can't pay their water bills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the water the water utility trade associations are predicting about a $30 billion, with a B, uh, dollar uh, shortfall. 
Um, right. And who is going to make up that funding, right? Um, it's not, and that's not just residential, that's commercial and industrial right. as well. But there are tons and tons of people that can't pay their water bills. And we're having this conversation about a a moratorium on shutoffs. We're having this conversation about, okay, then who pays for the water that we're sending out? And all of that is a communication issue on the ground, right? But it's also something that we're working on in D.C. Because if if the shift in that responsibility is on the state and local governments, they're not going to be able to pay for it, right? State and local governments are already completely cash-strapped because they're the ones that are doing all the response for the coronavirus, right? Yeah. So the fact that we need to add that additional burden onto them, that additional financial burden onto them is going to be really a problem. And you're already seeing states um, and cities cutting police, cutting teachers, right? Because they're like, we literally just don't have enough money to keep this going. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we could do and something that I'm something that I'm working on is um, creating a program, a low-income water consumer assistance program at the federal level. Um, this, uh, bill, I wrote this bill for Senator Cardin four years, I started working on it like four years ago. He introduced it about two years ago. And, um, and we're super excited. It's passed the house three times now funded at $1.5 billion, which is a huge amount in the water sector. That would be math. It's not, it's not enough. The money is never enough, but that would be a massive, a massive investment. That bill has passed the house three times. Um, the third time was even the most recent bill that passed the house where they like cut the amount of money, um, by a lot, by almost a trillion dollars, they cut the amount of money that was in the total bill. But this program for low-income water customers did not see any cuts at all when it passed the third time. So we're feeling pretty good about it, but we got to get the Senate to work on it, right? But those are the kinds of things where like, when we talk about essential workers, yes, they're getting helped, but is it like, is it helpful to get uh, people, you know, essential workers PPE? Absolutely. Is it also essential for them to make sure that they have money to make payroll? Like, yes, obviously, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we're not necessarily always be always talking about essential workers in the same way. Yeah. So a long okay. answer to your very important question. <laughs> no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so for everyone listening, you know, when when we had this initial conversation, it was just it was really important to me because I think for me this inspired. I already feel pretty engaged and feel and feel pretty aware of issues and things like that. But for me, this was just even more inspiration and motivation just to continue that or, you know, maybe even to ramp it up because, you know, you tied it together in a way that here you go, knowing your audience, like spoke to what resonates with me. And so that's a call to action. I hope that everyone listening follows. But of course, we have one more. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Ariane kick that off. Okay, so we believe that, you know, every piece of content should have a call to action, and apparently you have one for us. Um, (laughs) WEF, AWWA, each of their respective member associations and sections all have these government affair committees. One of the roles of those committees is to create these opportunities for industry members to engage with and help shape policy in Washington and also at the state level. So as an official as our official DC guru now, um, what are some ways that we can create impact from our desks, which are now at home, in the living rooms, <laughs> maybe at an office, maybe at a home office, sometimes in a car? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be the people who have the car to go out to. That is, that is fantastic. I live in downtown DC and it doesn't make sense for me to have a car, but right now I'm like, I just need a silent. Yeah. (laughs) So yes. Okay. So call to action. This is very important. So I have a couple for you. Um, first vote. Um, I would be remiss not to tell everybody that they need to vote. If you don't know how to vote in um, your state or city or area, um, Washington Post has a voter guide. If you Google Washington Post and how to vote in your state, don't put the actual name of your state in, just put how to vote in your state. It gives you a guide for every different state and you'll be able to figure it out. Um, The reason why I tell people that is because you have more options than ever this year because of the pandemic. Hopefully those options stick around, but the pandemic does not. So I'm hoping that, you know, we learn, we learn from this, but it is a little bit more complicated this year because there are lots of, lots of options to choose from. So I'm all for more options, but you know, just be, just be uh, mindful of that. Okay. So that's the first call to action. Please vote. (laughs) Um, also if the last question did not get you motivated to vote one way or another, then, then I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, okay. Second, call your members of Congress. So all of the trade associations have these government affairs, uh, groups, like you said, and they, uh, provide ideas for what to talk about. But I want to take a step back for a second and talk about your tagline. Those who tell the stories rule the world, Right. Nowhere is this more true in Washington, D.C. Okay, Mm. so if you uh, so you really have to tell the members of Congress what you want because they can't guess. Right. And and uh, you don't want them to guess. Right. Because good Lord, they'll they'll do something wrong. Um, So you want to tell them exactly what you mean. So the good news about it is that the trade associations have all of this on their websites about what they want in a COVID response package, what they're advocating for. They've done all sorts of economic analysis, job loss, all the things. They will give you all the talking points. That's fine. If you can't find it, call call the trade association. They will help you. It is excellent. Um, one thing I will just say, though, is that if you do not know who your members of Congress are, that is a big hurdle to calling your member of Congress. First of all, don't admit that publicly. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Second of all, remedy that immediately. What are you doing? So go to house.gov and go into the upper right corner of the screen. You can type in your zip code and it'll tell you who your member of Congress is. If you go to senate.gov, you can go up into the left-hand corner of the screen. You can select your select your state, and then it'll tell you who your senators are. Please commit those to memory. They may change in November, but it's really a small a small task to create democracy. So please, please do that. Yeah. So that's what that's what I would say is like go and figure out who those members of Congress are. Call them. Ask for the things. The sort of the top line that all of the trade associations are saying is that uh, the water sector is about to lose about $30 billion over six months. So terrifying. Um, And that they need to be included in any of these packages. If you just say that and nothing else, it's totally fine. The other sort of the other sort of like objection that I always get to when I say you should call your member of Congress mm-hmm. is that they're really scared that people are going to be like they are on like MSNBC or Fox News, where yeah. they are going to like scream back at you. <laughs> First of all, you're not going to talk to the member of Congress. Like they don't have time to sit around answering their phone all day. You're yeah. going to be talking to like a 22 year old whose whole job it is, is to just answer the phone, politely take down your message and hang up. 
And then they take those messages and they communicate those to the policy folks, they communicate those to the senator or member. And so you're not going to talk to anybody who's going to shout at you. There's not going to be any difficult follow-up questions. You don't need to get into too many details. It's fine. Like, this is really easy. And actually now, um, especially because a lot of offices are remote, but this was even happening before, um, the all the all of the messages uh, or everybody sends a message on a voicemail. Nobody is answering the phone in a lot of offices. Some still Senator Cardin's office. They still answer the phone, but a lot of people don't. So you might just leave a message and that's like even better and like less yeah. scary. So it's it's very easy. Can I just point out that like I would the people pleaser in me would be like, um, I don't want to call them because I don't want to like they're busy they, yeah. you know, <laughs> have time for me. Why do they care about my little voice? Like no. you're saying it's that person's job to answer that call or that email or whatever it is. Like they're yeah. waiting for, the, for you to call them. Yeah. And not only is it that's a specific staffer's job, but the Senator hired them specifically to do that because the you Senator cares about what you have to say. That's literally their job. They're here in Washington to represent you. So like they need to know what you care about. If you don't engage with them, they are not going to know. Mm-hmm. And they want to hear from you because they want to do a good job. Like these people are like, I mean, if you think of like a normal politician, they're like an overachiever, you know, like they want to do like all the gold stars, get everybody to like them, pass all the bills, make the world a better place, do all of the things, right? Better is subjective. So like, okay, but in their minds, like they want to do all the things to make everybody happy. That's mm-hmm. literally what a politician does. So like, they want to hear from you. It is, it is not an imposition. It is literally what you have to do or else nobody will, will know or care or help you. So, so. for everyone who's like me, yes. you know, take one, I'll give you one time a year. You need to call your Senator. Start yes. there. <laughs> Start there. Start right now. Call as soon as you are Just done call. with this. Yeah. Start as soon as you're done with this podcast. Um, I have a third uh, call to action, yes. though. Yes. I know I'm asking you. You are an overachiever. It's so important. It's so important. Okay, so outside. Okay, so this is all related, but outside <laughs> of my day job at Signal, uh, it's Signal Water, right? It's Signal. I created a campaign committee called Safe Water Voters. So you can go to safewatervoters.com and check it out if you want. But basically, it's the first and only bipartisan grassroots political action committee that is dedicated to electing water infrastructure champions. And the reason that I uh, started this is because there are not there like we need people in place in D.C. that want to champion water infrastructure. We know. Right. The Flint, like I talked about before, the Flint deal passed 97 to three. Almost all uh, that was the lowest vote margin that I have ever gotten on a water on a water bill is 97 to three. And mostly like you don't get those vote margins. Mostly those vote margins are for like when you name a post office. Right. So the fact that we're putting like billions of dollars into water infrastructure, we're getting that high vote. It means that water is really bipartisan. It's a really bipartisan issue. But that's just like a safe yes vote. Right. What we need in Congress are people who are going to champion this stuff, like more people like Senator Cardin and, and Senator Peters and like all these great people that, we're, that we have been working on. Um, so what is really, really important is that we actually elect those people to office in the first place or the thing, the people that are champions, um, they also need to stay in office so that we can work with them, if, you know, come 
you know, the day after the election or in January when there's a new Congress, like we need them to be around to champion this stuff. So mm-hmm. if they, um, if you go to safewatervoters.com, you can find out all the information. We've hosted a couple fundraisers this year already. We've raised a couple thousand dollars for people. Um, it's a bipartisan pack. So if you want to donate only to Democrats or only to Republicans, you can do that. Um, you just pick the, pick the candidate that you want. Um, you can join the mailing list and we'll let you know when the next event um, happens. But that's going to make an even bigger impact because that's going to set us up in January to have the actual people in place that we could actually go to and ask for this stuff. Um, because it's not just a safe yes vote. It's like an actual champion in there. So very, very important. That's, very the, important. that's the, that's the, if you really want to be an overachiever, <laughs> do that too. Okay. I love so, it. Love excellent. It. Love it. Yeah. Because we get asked a lot uh, about, you know, we're, we're working to create change, like human behavior. And that's really like the most difficult metric you can have. And Mm -hmm. one that takes time and that's evolved over, over time. And it's been tweaked and stuff, but I know that I've said to several different people on several different occasions of what success would look like to me. And one of my answers is success looks like to me when every single political candidate has to have water on their platform in order to be elected. Mm -hmm. That would be incredible, right? You have to be talking about how you're going to bring your community safe, clean drinking water, how you're going to address whatever they're worried about is in their water, how you're going to address the 2 million people in this country that lack access to water and clean sanitation. Like to me, that is what success looks like. So thank you for starting this pack to help me feel later. (laughs) Like I have, um, yeah, found success and, you know, maybe I can't do world peace, but maybe I can get 2 million people water. So there you go. yeah, we'll see. I mean, and think about if that is all you accomplished in your life was got 2 million people access to running water. Like what? That's not all. That's like incredible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, focus in and like do the thing. It's very exciting. So I'm excited. <laughs> I am haunted by that statistic. Thank you very much, uh, U.S. Water Alliance, and your yeah. uh, closing the water access gap report. Yes, <laughs> terrified me for the rest of my life. Okay, so we are super pumped to kick off this first. Uh, well, it's not this first. Um, we have done this, I think, maybe one time before, but we had a lightning round and we tweaked that. We were inspired by Brene Brown and her, she doesn't call it a lightning round, but she asked these list of questions. And so we tweaked it to be tied to our core values. Um, and so they're a little different than what you're used to if you've, mm-hmm. if you've heard them in the past. So, um, so I'm going to kick this off and we're going to kind of volley this back and forth, but name a moment where you felt the most authentically you. The moment where I felt most authentically me was at our very first fundraiser um, for Safe Water Voters. It was last week. Um, we endorsed Gary Peters. Um, Senator Carper, who's the top Democrat on the EPW committee um, and will be the top Democrat next Congress, regardless of the party, um, a party makeup of the Senate. Um, so he was a VIP. And I grew up halfway between Detroit and Flint. So this is especially mm-hmm. important to me. Um, even though I got to work on it for a Maryland senator, I was really, I mean, I was getting phone calls every day from my parents. So <laughs> I was yeah. like very much doing this for the people of Flint as well. But I think that that was really sort of the culmination of like, wow, all of this is like coming together. Then just uh, yesterday, 
sorry, again, the days are all blending together. Yesterday morning, we had a fundraiser for Senator Capito, who's widely, it's not official yet, but widely expected to be the top Republican on the committee. And I think that sort of like brought it all together. Like, wow, my first two fundraisers, I raised several thousand dollars. The top Democrat and Republican in the next Congress were both in my events. They were both nice to me, which is great. They're nice people. So that wasn't so hard. But um, and then we really we help support two amazing candidates, a Democrat and a Republican. And it's like fantastic. So I think that's what it was. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, I'm so glad I met blank this year. Fill in the blank. You too. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) I am so excited. I'm such a big fan of this podcast. I feel like it's so cool. Um, And I think especially because your voices are like sort of uh, like a representation of people who are like missing in the sector and like missing in the voices that we hear about water infrastructure. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm so excited I'm here and I'm so excited I met you. I feel like you guys... (laughs) I said this before, but I'll say it again. You guys are like my two new best friends and I love it. So you guys. Well, we can go go to Claire's and get our BFF. (laughs) I know. I'm ready. I feel like this isn't the last conversation we're going to have. No. (laughs) Okay. So here's another fill in the blank. I stay curious by blank. Ooh. Um, I stay curious by um, reading a lot of books, actually. I've like been, so I feel like there are two different households in the like coronavirus times. There's either the households with young children and those people have absolutely no free time. And then there are households without young children and those people have a lot of free time. Those like people living their best bored. life. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. like living your best life, maybe kind of bored. Like so. I always just like took on like so many like hobbies yeah. and I'm like, that's literally a what I did. got so, flicked at me on the zoom. Call. Yes. <laughs> you're like, that is like, like, yes, exactly. That is what you're dealing with. So I had, I do not have young children in my house. So I had all this free time. So I started a water practice and a pack. So that was exciting. But another thing that I am really trying to do in this time, because I'm, uh, I have always like sort of been hard on myself that I didn't read a lot of books, even though I did still. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that I didn't. But actually keeping track of the books that I'm reading, prioritizing reading more and reading a broader portfolio of books, because I think that, you know, if you're reading something like reading fiction, like I didn't think that reading could be, should be fun. It should be something where you learn, right? Because I like, that's what you learn in school is that all mm-hmm. reading is fiction. And if you're spending time on fiction, that's fun and that's not okay. But like reading fiction actually really uh, shows you what it's like to be another person. You can put it, uh, yourself mm-hmm. in another person's shoes, which makes you a better lobbyist. Like all of these things are like actually productive still, but they're also enjoyable. So yeah, I see yeah. by reading a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> I know, <clears throat> excuse me, if I ever go missing, um, Stephanie is going to replace me with her. So y'all can talk about reading books all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't want to put you on the spot, but what are you reading? Or what's like your like what not maybe right now, but what's something? What's one that you're just like you got to read this? Oh yes, okay. So um, I am a big fan of Gretchen Rubin, who is an author who's published a whole bunch of books um, about happiness, habits, human nature, all the things. Um, she's really really smart. 
Um, normally when people think like, oh, it's a book on happiness, is this person like an idiot? Like, no, she actually like clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor, went to Yale for law school, was like top of her class. Like she's a brilliant woman who also just like cares about you being happy. So like maybe it's okay to care about you being happy, first of all. But yeah. she wrote this one book. Yeah, it's like fine, right? Okay. So um, she wrote this book um, that's called The Four Tendencies. And it, it talks to you about the different ways that people are um, motivated. So are mm-hmm. you motivated by external factors or internal factors? And so that's like, um, for example, if you guys ask me to do something, even if I think it is like a dumb, inconsequential, pointless thing, I will 100% do it every time. If I ask myself to do something, even if it is the most important thing that I can ever possibly think to do, I will never get it done. Right. Mm -hmm. So thinking about that in a way. And so, and then there's like the people that are fine with external, you know, fine with internal, but not external. Those people are questioners. They question everything. Right. There's the people are rebels who don't listen to anybody, even themselves. Right. (laughs) So there's four different kinds of people, whether internal or external. And I think that that book is really important for anybody who's thinking about communicating in the water sector or anywhere else, because it makes you think about what is going to make the other person get excited to do the thing, right? So if you're talking about voting, so if you're talking to me about voting, you would say your community's counting on you, right? We're mm-hmm. all like, we all need you to vote, right? If it's a questioner, you would want to say like, um, it's really important to vote because the people that you're voting for are deciding all these really important issues. And so you, you answer their why question, right? Yeah. Um, if you talk, if you're talking to a rebel, somebody who like, doesn't want, you know, doesn't like, can't listen to other people or themselves, you can appeal to their sort of, um, their sense of identity uh, mm-hmm. and like their sense of like not wanting to be controlled by other people by saying like, if you don't vote, then you're going to be controlled by everybody else, right? Like they are going to make decisions whether you vote or not. So you better vote so that like you have a voice, right? And mm-hmm. you have like, you can assert some control in the situation. So I love that book. I think it's great for anybody who does any communication in any sector. It's awesome. I love it. Awesome. Thank you for making that connection. I'm going to yeah. let Arian oh. take the next two and then I'm going to take the, I'm going to bring it home. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, this is a fill in the blank. Boldness, okay. boldness looks like blank. Oh, um, boldness looks like calling up a person that you don't know that you need to talk to, to get them to do whatever thing it is. So I do this all the time lobbying, right? Where you have to pick up the phone, call a staffer, ask them for their boss to like do the thing, whatever, right? Vote for the thing. Don't vote for the thing. Even just like show up to the committee hearing and ask some good questions, right? Mm -hmm. I am asking strangers to do stuff all of the time. And that takes a lot of guts, right? It's not yes. and like, but also mm. like for you guys and for your listeners, you guys are calling, you guys are talking to people all the time. You're doing these like public events where like random citizens are coming up and like it's open mic and you have to ask the questions, right? That is like a boldness that is really serious. But the thing is, is that I know all of this is scary, regardless of who you are and what you're doing, but it's so important. Like the thing that gets me through calling like random staffers is that I know that it's scary because people are, but people are counting on me, right? That it's like, this bill is so important. My client is so important. My, you know, community is so important. You have to do the thing. So that's what boldness looks like to me. Yes. Um, 
I love that. When you were describing that first one, I was getting bubble guts. So you have, you have guts and I have bubble guts while you're talking about picking up the phone and asking someone to do something for them. Um, I love your expressions. They're <laughs> I feel like we need our own, like, we need our own dictionary. Duo urban dictionary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> our duo dictionary. Um, okay. So what's something that you're deeply grateful for? Um, I think the opportunity that Senator Cardin gave me when he asked me first to do, uh, to deal with lead, I think that that, that moment changed the Mm -hmm. trajectory for my entire life. And I'm like, just really grateful to have gotten that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, and to just really realize that that was my, that this is my life's calling water infrastructure is my life's calling. And I would not have had that opportunity otherwise. Mm. I wouldn't even have considered it otherwise, right? Because nobody's talking about water infrastructure, right? So like if nobody's talking to random me about water infrastructure, then like how would I know that that's important? So big thank you to Senator Cardin. He's wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Shout out, Senator. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this is the last question. You're a listener, so you know that it's coming. And I feel like you, of all people, probably understand this notion as well, because we're talking about behavior change and getting people to take action. You know, so in in our careers, we've had people say, well, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm only one person. Mm-hmm. Does it make a yeah. difference? Which we obviously, I'm sure collectively, wholeheartedly disagree with that. Because we believe that one person making a change can inspire others and you never know what your choice and what your action will inspire in others. So what's the call to action you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? And I'm going to make it a little harder on you and say that you can't say vote. Oh, oh no. Um, okay. Well, I think what I would say just like generally, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to say, but I think generally, um, I think the most important thing that you can do is get more involved in DCA. Get, Mm. I know that reading the news is like very triggering right now. And even I, like, I mean, I, I, my job is to read the news all day long. Like I don't have the choice of you know, reading the headlines and then putting it away for the rest of the day, which is what I would recommend to everybody else. But what I would say is that it is so important to know what's going on in the world around you. Find sources of information that are as trustworthy and unbiased as you can find and get involved in the political process. And that can be, I think, I think getting involved in DC is really important because the federal government is so powerful, but I think also getting involved in the state and local level is really important. Um, and people who work at water utilities are already public servants. So they already kind of get that at the local level that they're, Mm -hmm. they're trying to, you know, make, people's lives better. But I honestly think that if you, if people in this industry paid more attention to what is going on in DC and got more involved, whatever that means to like, whatever that means to them, whether it's calling, whether it's doing fundraisers, whether it's like petitioning or knocking on doors or whatever, right. I don't, I don't care, but whatever you want to do, do it because it's so, so, so important. Um, and that, you know, again, like Washington is not going to know or care about what you want if you don't tell them. So that would be my thing. Get involved in DC. Although voting is good too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. because DC kind of sets the tone for so many things that affect our state and local governments. But I mean, this, the statistic that you gave earlier was just, I'm still, it's 
staggering to me that the 97% of inf- water infrastructure comes from state and local. So if that doesn't scream to you, the importance of staying in the know of what's happening in your state and local governments mm-hmm. as a water professional. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know what else does, you know, right. Like, it's really, it's the trendy thing to be engaged for some people every four years when we're in an election year, but jump on that bandwagon, jump on yeah. that bandwagon <laughs> and then just stay on it. Stay on it. Yes. Stay on it and stay tuned in to what's happening because Mm -hmm. we need to, we need to make sure that people know, and you've taken the fear out of it because you said that the person that's answering the phone is paid to answer the phone Yes, and that you will not suddenly find yourself on a debate stage. um, (laughs) You're going to be fine. (laughs) Painless. So Yes. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. This is so great. <laughs> I think this was incredibly important, obviously very timely. Mm-hmm. And I realized as we were talking through this, that we are, this is today's Imagine a Day Without Water. We yes. specifically planned this to come out on Imagine a Day Without Water. And if we don't want to ever have to live a day without water in real life, you need then to listen you to better vote. Yeah, need to listen to everything that Aunt May said, and you know, take it to the house or whatever you do when you vote in Salem. So, (laughs) thank you so much for celebrating this important day with us and for this conversation. Yes, happy Imagine a Day Without Water. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. This is very exciting for me. So I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd Newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.